Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I'm really excited to have James Hahn on the podcast. You might not know James specifically, but he started the infamous site, HotOrNot.com, along with his friend Jim Young. I just want to provide a little intro uh, before fully welcoming James, but Hot or Not was like the dream site to build, I would imagine. It, basically, imagine setting up a website, and then weeks later, you have millions of users, you, you minimal costs, and it turns into a business. That's kind of the dream. And James, welcome to the show. Thank you. <laughs> now, wh- what was it like? You set up this site, and then, and I'll describe the site in a second, but you set up the site, and... Did you realize you were going to have two million visitors within weeks? No, it was it was mainly we we put it up really as a joke. Um, it was just for fun, um, you know. It was just kind of an experiment. Um, my my friend and I we we were hopeful, but we we really didn't expect it to happen. I don't know if you remember this, but back then there was um, this whole concept of viral marketing was kind of new, and um, I was kind of obsessed with this guy called the Turkish Stud. I don't know if you know who he no. is. No, and this and to be fair, this was in the year two thousand, right? Uh, this was in 2000, but I think Mahir, the Turkish said, happened in 99. Huh. There was this guy who had a webpage. Actually, someone took his webpage and made another webpage about him that was kind of a joke. It grew like crazy. Uh, and if you know Borat, I think Borat might have been based on him, actually. Um, That's funny. We were just amused because, uh, Jim and I, uh, because, you know, we were in Silicon Valley where there were all these companies spending millions of dollars to get 10 users, you know, um, and at the same time, here was this guy who had a website made about him, and he ended up on Letterman and all these TV shows. <laughs> and we just thought it was kind of funny because this guy didn't do anything, and he had all these users uh, come to his site. And meanwhile, there are all these people spending money who couldn't get you know even a few people to their site. And so we just thought that was really interesting and really cool. So we were obsessed by him, and we kind of took it upon ourselves as a challenge to say, could we ever create a Mahir, a Turkish stud? And... Um, so we were, you know, we were always bouncing around ideas, and one day we just came up with the idea for Hot or Not, and, you know, like, oh, you know, this could be it. Who knows? So we just built it, and, uh, yeah, pretty quickly, it was um, both a, a blessing and also a curse to have something grow that quickly, especially back in uh, 2000 when things were a lot actually more expensive than they are today. And, and to be clear, so Hot or Not was people uploaded their photos, very simple concept. People uploaded their photos, and then you could choose whether they were hot or not, essentially. Yeah. 
Um, basically, people, yeah, people submitted their photos for other people to judge them, uh, to rate them on a scale of 1 to 10. A few months later, we also added a dating site uh, where you, if you thought they were hot, you could meet them. And that basically worked how Tinder works. It was kind of right. the first speed dating on, you know, we clicked, you, you clicked yes or no instead of swiping left or right. But it was effectively the same thing. Well, well, and you were you were kind of the ancestor of many sites. I mean, Facebook came out of Face Mash that that Mark Zuckerberg set up. You hosted Twitter for a while. You hosted BitTorrent. Uh, the YouTube guys were inspired by you. They wanted to do like a hot or not of videos. Yeah, I have a, a confession for you. I set up a site called Smart or Stupid yeah. <laughs> based on your site. Nobody really used it. I had people upload their photo and then fill out an IQ form. And right. you had to decide if if you thought they were smart or not, and then you right. would see the no, results of their IQ test. That's actually pretty cool. I like that. Um, some of my best friends, like I don't know if you know Philip Kaplan, who uh, yeah, back with Pud, uh, who ran Fuck Company. He also created a, uh, a hot or not uh, copycat of sorts, as did Greg Tseng of Tagged and um, the guys who did Machine Zone, uh, one of the biggest gaming companies. Now started off. I mean, some and like I said, some of my best friends also did it. It's just kind of a quirky concept, and it was an interesting UI. I think. But it didn't really work, like for me, for at least, it didn't really work. Like, what do you think contributed to the instant success of Hot or Not? And obviously, I guess the curse you're talking about was, you know, storage costs and space and things like that. Or, or what, what were the issues right then? Well, the interesting thing about Hot or Not versus, say, Smart or Not is that it kind of tapped into something that we as human beings, it taps into our, our you know, inner selves of, you know, we're always, everyone is always rating people. Um, it's just kind of a instinctive thing. And so it's, it kind of touches something that's kind of a core, a core function. Because of that, it really strikes a nerve. Like, you know, I don't go around looking at guys or girls saying, oh, I wonder if they're smart or not. Right. Um, which, which, no, smart or not is actually quite funny and actually quite interesting, actually, um, because from a psychology standpoint, um, there's something about hotness that just made it more exciting, and uh, you know that's how our society is. That we're we're very, I, I don't know, sexual beings. So well, well, and it's very that. it's very blunt because the reality is it's almost a cliche. Like you were two electrical engineers, so of course you're going to want women to upload photos and have everybody decide whether they're hot or not. Like I'm sure you were accused of like sexism at the time. Sexism actually didn't end up being much of a problem because it turned out that. Two thirds of the people who submitted their picture were men. So ah. if, if you were going to accuse of of, of sexism uh, and of uh, superficiality, it, you know it would actually be in the opposite direction of we we're, we're uh, being superficial and sexist against men uh, more than women. <laughs> so, so so that's interesting. Like so, did people upload their photos, kind of wondering for themselves what people would choose? <laughs> I think for a very small percentage of people, uh, it was enlightening. But in reality. It, <laughs> In reality, most of us already know how hot we are in society because, like I said, this is something that people do to us every day. You know, I could go out onto the playground in a, you know, or you know, into a high school cafeteria or in college or just going outside to a bar. It's not like I don't know if I'm hot or not. It's something that most people actually know. The only people who I think it was a surprise for was were the people who were somehow so egotistical that they thought that they were hot, but they actually weren't. See, I would have no problem because I would be like a one or a two on well, uh, so, or not. You know, the, the funny thing is that we were in the beginning, we were a little concerned about hurting people's feelings or, you know, making people feel bad. But what we realized is that, you know, like we thought about it, we, we looked into our user base and found this to actually be uh, true. 
kind of much like us, we're not really that hot. It's not like, like I said, we already kind of knew it. So it wasn't really a surprise. So most people who would submit their pictures that were going to get low scores typically knew it was coming. And so they were confident, you know, only about 2% of people would actually submit their photos. So those 2% tended to be people who were either knew what was coming or were confident enough that they didn't really care. You know, like, like I live my whole life not being that great looking guy, but you know, like I have, I have to make up with it, make up for it with my personality, you know, my mom says I have a good personality. So, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the, the type of person who would get a low score on average tended to be like, be able to, you know, they, they were able to brush it off. That's kind of what made them able to even submit in the first place. So, that, so were the, were the, was the score skewed more towards 10 because generally, I guess, hot people were more inclined to submit their photos? In the beginning, no. In the beginning, it was a broad cross section, but I would say that we probably retained people who were hotter on average. You know, it's it's became kind of like a dopamine hit to uh get right. to check the score. So, I would say that we were not in the business of sourcing hotter people, but we were definitely in the business of accumulating them. And and how did people initially even hear about the site or is it just pure magic? We built the site over the course of a week, kind of casually actually. It wasn't really a thing. You know, I was working on another project and my partner was doing his PhD. So, it was kind of um half time building it on the side thing. When we launched it, I sent an email to 42 of my friends. That was around 2 o'clock. And by the end of the day, we had had about 30,000 uh, 30, people come to the site. Did, and, you see, uh, did you seed it with any initial photos? Like, did you yeah, go to some so kind of we, Russian model site and put up photos? Well, yeah, because otherwise it would be, you know, they would just be looking at me and my partner, and that wouldn't be that interesting. <laughs> uh, so what we did is we seeded it with uh, 100 photos. I could probably say this now. We, we seeded it with 100 photos that I just downloaded off of... Uh, I think Excite Personals. <laughs> I don't remember Excite. But what was pretty awesome was that we had so many pictures coming in that I think we took them all, all the, we took down all of the fake photos down within, you know, like seven or eight hours. Like that night that we launched, we're like, we don't need them anymore. So we took them out pretty quickly. So a week later, did you realize, okay, this is now, my life has now changed in one week? Uh, no, like, like a day later or that. It was pretty instantaneous because, um, First of all, we were running the site on a free machine that I got for opening an E-Trade account and you know depositing four hundred dollars into. So it was literally or a thousand. It was literally like a three hundred dollar machine with no memory and, and nothing. And uh, so that that box was quite immediately slammed. So from a technical basis, there was just the fact that like we didn't have the machines to run the site. And uh, you know back then there was no EC2, there were no cloud services. Back then you had to spend. $2,000 a machine on average to, you know, and $10,000 to get into a racks, you know, in, in some, some co-location facility. And, you know, it wasn't like it is today where you can spin something up, you know, like you were uh, doing this stuff back then. Sure. Uh, you know, you remember what it was like. It was very expensive. And actually even bandwidth was, you know, uh, I think it was about $1,000 per megabit per second. So what a DSL line did, does today would cost thousands of dollars per month. I just remember the very first night we almost shut the site down because I was in debt from business school. My partner was still in grad school, and uh, I kind of did a back of the hand calculation. I said, "Hey Jim, you know," um, and we were borrowing. By the way, we were borrowing data center space from a friend. So I was like, "Hey Jim, you know, at the current rate, we're going to have a bill of about like you know a hundred thousand dollars a month, and it's doubling every like eight hours." That's crazy. <laughs> So we, we were very close to shutting it down until, uh, you know, I called a friend of mine uh, and for advice and 
she's like, don't you dare shut this thing down. You know, like <laughs> whatever you do, you can go bankrupt, but you know, you can't, this opportunity doesn't come, uh, you know, every day. So, uh, so we're like, okay, fine. We'll have to work through this somehow. So what we did actually is we, um, we did two things for hosting. We, we moved the machine to my partner's grad school office. <laughs> so it was very briefly hosted in Berkeley. And, uh, we, we won't tell Berkeley about that. Yeah. <laughs> but before that, even before that, for the, uh, well, they know about it actually. Yeah. They, uh, luckily, Jim's advisor was a dean of engineering. And so he gave us a couple, he got us uh, off the hook for a couple of days to find an alternative. Huh. Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But the other thing that we did is we said, hey, you know, like, why don't we just upload all our images to Yahoo GeoCities and just host, let Yahoo host them? We did that, and then when, we, um, when users were submitting their photos, instead of saying, hey, t- upload your photo, we said, hey, go create a GeoCities account, your own GeoCities account, and uh, just give us a URL of the picture. So that basically got rid of our cost of uh, serving the pictures. And interestingly enough, uh, a month later, Yahoo shut down the ability to do that, except uh, they somehow whitelisted Hot or Not. We weren't really sure why, but uh, years later, I ran into the guy who ran GeoCities, and he's like, well, we didn't want to be the guys who killed Hot or Not. <laughs> well, and so, also, you must have been the only reason people were signing up for GeoCities at that point. Well, I mean, GeoCities was really popular. They had already been, they were bought for billions of dollars, yeah. I think. So, anyway, we, we 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 thought we were actually just riding under the under the noise, under the floor, uh, you know, under the radar. But uh, it turns out that they knew knew all about us, and we were luckily luckily so since they whitelisted us. But um, and then actually, we took it beyond that. We then contacted uh, Ophoto, which was like one of the first picture sharing sites, like uh, or. Like uh, it's like Shutterfly. I think Kodak bought them, and um, we cut a deal with them where we said, "Hey, instead of sending people to GeoCities, can we send you our users? We can f- ask the users if they own a camera, because back then most people didn't own digital cameras, and uh, if they do, then we'll send them to you for photo hosting." And they paid us a dollar. So we did like an affiliate deal with um, with Ophoto in the early days of affiliate deals, and uh, so and and that actually ended up making us our first money. And uh, luckily, they fronted us 25k which helped us uh pay for a lot of our costs up front <laughs> so that's <laughs> that, great that's so so you yeah. had no real serious costs if they were handling the, the major hosting and they were paying you right you're right exactly that was the photo deal and then but and then the last uh real challenge on the hosting stuff was that berkeley found out about us pretty much instantly we got a couple of days because of uh my partner's advisor for that one we called rackspace um, which was back then just up and coming and, and, and pretty small, actually, relative to today. And uh, I said, hey, you guys are doing really well. You know, I'm, you guys are probably going to want to, like, go public someday. You know, I'm getting all these phone calls from CNET Radio and from Wall Street Journal. Like, how about you host us for free and I'll just talk about you? <laughs> and, and, you know, because back then our challenge was even if we had the money, we couldn't turn up that, you know, to, we couldn't meet the demand that quickly because, it took the lead time on even getting a machine was, you know, two weeks to a month. Uh, and our demand was instant, right? And I said, well, hey, this is kind of actually your model. Like, you enable people to scale up quickly. And so they said, yeah, that's actually pretty good. So I said, well, scale us quickly. And then uh, they were actually great. They, this guy, Lou Mormon over there, um, he said, let's just scale you up quickly, meet the demand, and we'll work out the terms later. <laughs> so we didn't even work out the terms until uh, I think maybe a month in. Hmm. Which was awesome, and, and in that time we just scaled up to I don't know maybe up to like fifteen to twenty machines um, every night. We were just like add more machines, add more machines. Um, That's crazy. You know this this like never happens and is the dream. Like yeah, it was definitely it was a dream, but at the time it was like it was. I, I think I got. Eight were hours. you able to sleep? Like were you stressed? I, 
I, well, I literally got eight hours of sleep the whole week. I slept about an hour a day. I, and I remember like a week into it, I was just kind of like nodding off and Jim was like looking at me. He's like, dude, you, got, you have to get sleep because he says I basically looked like I was about to die. I, <laughs> okay, let me ask you this. You're, you're in the final stages of kind of the internet bubble, the beginning of the bust. Did you consider immediately flipping it to like a Yahoo for $10 million? Uh, yeah, actually, we got calls. Um, I remember, Alta, I think it was Alta Vista offered us $5 million right off the bat. So you didn't consider that? Like, you've been doing this for two weeks, and you yeah. can make $2.5 million each. It's when that happened. Um, <laughs> that it, was, it was not an easy decision to say no to that possibility. At the, but at the same time, you know, we had our friends telling us, like, this is like, they'd never seen anything like this before. This was post-bubble crashing, though. So Because um, we actually didn't think that this was going to make us money at that point in time. But what we did think it would do was give us instant street cred. <laughs> right. Before, before we ran Hot or Not, um, we had started a comp- another company with uh, the two of us and then two of our other friends. And, and with that previous idea, we had gotten a buyout offer for about 5 or $6 million for the four of us, but we had to stay for four years. And we had made the decision to turn that one down because no one wanted to basically sell our youth out for too cheap because uh, we felt like we had the capability to do more. What that and company so, do? A decision before, so it was easier to say no this time because it was maybe doubling of that, but we still felt like you can't buy your youth back. And, uh, you know, we're like, well, we're in our 20s. We'll never have this again. We have to do more. But it was a, it was a tough decision, I have to say. What did that first company do? It was called DealSpring, originally called Viral Promotions. It was a coupon platform for SMBs, where you could create a coupon that would increase in value to the coupon holder if they passed it along to their friends. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah, so it was like, because the thinking was that Amazon would do all the big box type of products, but there would be a whole class of products like niche products, like say horse saddles or whatever, that would not be, uh, you know, kind of like drop ship type products, more niche products. And that those people tended to get business through word of mouth. So we wanted to create an accelerant for that. It was actually pretty interesting. I found the business plan for that <laughs> uh, just when I was clearing my stuff out recently and um, we had terms in it like the social database and uh, there are all these things that kind of allude to stuff that's happening now, but uh, we're just way too early. So hot or not, you, you turned down the offer after like a week or so from Alta Vista. You're, you solved your hosting problem and then yeah. um, did you just kick back and say, this is like, um, we're just going to ride this incredible ride? Uh, no, not exactly. That first year was intense. Uh, it was pretty much a whole year of intense, intense work. So after we solved the hosting problems, we still had we still had growth problems in terms of the code and getting it to scale and all that kind of stuff. But also, because uh, was uh, the site loading slowly? Because oh, was your yeah, database no, not optimized? Or that, that, I mean, the, I just to give you an example. The second day, we I remember on the second day of the site, it took about thirty seconds for a page view to, to, after someone voted on someone, it would take 20 to 30 seconds for the next page view. Would you get like scared that, oh my gosh, this is going to give us such a bad reputation, people are going to stop going and we're going to be out of business forever? We weren't even thinking at that point. It was, you know, like, it was more survival instincts kicking in. Like, we need to survive. It wasn't like, oh, if we, if we fail, then we're going to look dumb. It's more like, oh my God, we can't keep up. We have to, you know, it was a challenge. It was like, this, we can't let it die. Which is a different mentality than I think, uh, you know, it was more fear than greed. Right. <laughs> that makes sense. And then on top of that, you know, we had other challenges too. Like, okay, we, we bought ourselves some time. You know, Rackspace ended up saying they would host us for free for six months and then 
they gave us a half off for the next three months and then a quarter off for the next three months after that. So we bought some time, but we realized that it had to generate some revenue somehow in order to pay for itself. And frankly, at that time, we were thinking, hey, we need to have it make more money so we can hire one person to run it so we can go back to doing our real things. Because um, <laughs> we really didn't see that it would become a business uh, at that point in time. Um, so like I said, we were basically thinking more from a survival mentality than a, than a greed mentality. So then what's the, um, other than the affiliate fee with Ophoto, uh, when did you essentially launch the dating service, which I guess was the bulk of your revenues? Yeah, so the dating service launched about, uh, I think, a couple months in. It was free at that point in time. And then we added payments a month after that. So I think three, I guess so three months after that, we had launched um, what we called Meet Me at Hot or Not. The, the website used to say, am I hot, uh, tell me, am I, and then it'd say hot or not. And um, the, the interface of the d- dating site was meant to be as similar as possible to rating, the rating side of things. Um, but So it said meet me at hot or not. And the joke was that meet me at, which actually could be read meet meat, in that we were a virtual meat market. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, very clever. <laughs> but yeah, the, the idea was to create an interface that basically felt the same as rating 1 to 10. So we made it uh, just saying yes or no. And kind of adopted a speed dating uh, thing. And uh, a month after we launched that, we added, uh, we made it so after you matched with someone, uh, in order to write them, one of you had to be a paid member. That was effectively the equivalent of saying, you know, you click yes on a girl, she clicked yes back to you. That's kind of like walking into a girl and smiling at her and she smiles back at you. And then at that point in time, someone has to buy drinks. You know, and it's and it's usually the guy. <laughs> so, it's, so it's totally like the Tinder model, uh, you know, as you mentioned. Tinder is pretty much exactly how Hot or Not worked, uh, except Tinder was free from the get go and uh, has remained free. But uh, well, actually, no, they're starting to charge for they're starting to charge for some premium functionalities. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, yes, it, it was basically Tinder of the web, and uh, and you know, Tinder is now Tinder of mobile. Okay, so once you launched uh, charging, how quickly did that grow? When did you when did you start paying yourself out of the <laughs> profits on Hot or Not? We didn't actually start paying ourselves for another two years or so, but um, it's not entirely honest to say that though, because we were the only people that owned it. We didn't raise any money, and uh, when we turned on the payments, it instantly went to where we were each making, you know, like hundred or two hundred grand a year. Well, anyway, that first year, I think we did around seven or eight hundred thousand in revenue, and it was all it was all profit because we had no cost structure at all, right? Because we had done those deals. The, the real cost was really the bandwidth at that in, in those days, and so with the Yahoo deal not going away after that first year, it, the cost was not an issue. So it was pretty much you know I think our net margin was ninety ninety to ninety five percent. Unbelievable! Uh, it, so, it was it's it's the internet dream. <laughs> it, it was. Uh, we won a lottery ticket. We had a winning lottery ticket, but. We paid ourselves like forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, which was basically what I had made around the time coming out of college right. as an engineer. We didn't touch the money that we were making because we weren't. We just were never sure if we were going to need it uh, as a company, so we we didn't distribute it out. But it's a little disingenuous to say that we weren't making any money because we knew the money was there and it was ours. So, <laughs> but but actually, from a ment- mental discipline standpoint, not having it in our personal bank accounts probably did help. Keep now, us, were venture capitalists like dying? Were they calling you constantly like, we have to invest in this, we got to scale up, uh, blah, yeah, blah, blah? Yeah, we were getting a lot of calls, but um, to be honest, this was, in, you know, this was in October 2000, 
which you remember those days. Yeah. I mean, the sky was falling. We basically said any VC who wants to invest in this idea right now is an idiot and we don't want him involved huh. or her. <laughs> so we actually only got contacted by male VCs. So, uh, so actually, I'm not being sexist and saying, yeah, all of them, we didn't want him involved. <laughs> and so you know, now in retrospect, uh, maybe they weren't idiots. Uh, but uh, at the time, we thought they were. Yeah, you because know, we we were very bloom and doom. Uh, sky is falling at the time, so. And yet, and yet, your sky wasn't falling in the sense that you you were showing that the internet does scale, and yeah. you could have ninety percent margins with a product that people find useful. Yeah, you know, we were, I guess, one of the first examples of, um, even to ourselves, of companies being able to be launched entirely bootstrapped on the web and reach some level of scale, right? Um, Within two months, we had hit Net Nielsen's top 25 advertising domains because we had ads on there. And so, you know, here we were. I think we were right next to ESPN at that time. Wow. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't have any money. We were in debt, we, and we didn't spend any money. And so it was pretty enlightening for us at that point to say, hey, you know, like, this is probably the future, you know, that people are going to be able to do this. And that um, actually that we actually called it that the power would shift towards the entrepreneur and away from capital. I'm just trying to figure out what makes this uh, viral. You tapped into this thing that happens in the brain every single day, and you kind of moved it online. And so people kind of automatically said, oh, yeah, that's how I think all day long, every day. And now I can do it here on our real site and look at, and you know, and there's this voyeuristic aspect. Like voyeurism always works. Like people sign on Facebook to stalk everyone. Yeah, it's not, I guess if you talk to any of my friends back then, it wasn't really a surprise to any of my friends that um, that I was involved in this because uh, I was a big reality TV show like fan. I, I I remember back then we used to watch Blind this show called Blind Date. Yeah, Dave um, Attell. Yeah, on Comedy Central. Right, and like Ricky Lake, you know Jenny Jones, uh, Springer, like in in uh, Real World, Road Rules, all like all these shows that like, we were big fans of them, and so. It was no surprise to our friends that we would be involved in, I guess, one of the first, probably the first, I guess, what you would call reality uh, internet type of things. Because um, the interesting thing about Hot or Not at the time, from an intellectual standpoint, was that it was kind of the first place where voyeurs and exhibitionists, to some degree, you know, like, at that time, the only people who submitted photos onto the web were submitting them to Ophoto and Shutterfly and basically places where people were actually password protecting the photos, and so this notion of openly putting up all your most candid pictures uh, for scrutiny uh, was kind of new. I mean, blogs existed, but people were not really putting photos on blogs at the time, and certainly not for other people to judge. It was kind of the first of, of that wave, and uh, so it was very interesting, I think, from an intellectual standpoint, from what it, was, what it meant for the web in, its next, uh, in the next generation of things to come. And then, so things are moving along. You're making money as a dating site. There even were, I mean, how many people were meeting for dates and how many marriages were happening because of Hot or Not? So there were about half a million monthly active users in the dating service. We looked into it one time. We, we, I think there was about five to ten marriages a day. Um, a day? Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about the scale, that actually is not that amazing. I mean, right. five to ten a day is like 3,000 people. Um, you know, if you have 500,000 people, that's, you know, um, over time, that, that's not, that, that seems actually quite reasonable. Did you get like thank you letters and, and oh, invitations? Oh, yeah, yeah. I got invited to weddings. And I mean, even, I mean, even, uh, I mean, some people, I guess, took longer to get married. Even uh, 
last year I got invited to a wedding. Uh, I actually spoke at Google um, to the Google Plus team a couple years ago. And someone on that team was like, hey, I met my wife or my fiance on your site. And uh, he invited me to his wedding as well. So, I mean, even, even uh, you know, now 15 years later, people are just getting married. So, <laughs> and, and, you know, it sort of shows like how to not quickly pass by probably a lot of dating sites because the reality is people want to know what you look like first. They don't care about all the details of the profile. That comes yeah, later. That was actually the idea. I mean, um, we actually did quite a, a bit of thinking in how the product would work and um, – we saw ourselves as being a router. So like uh, we wanted to be the people router of the internet is how we kind of saw ourselves. And so because we were a bunch of double E's, right? And so once we kind of took that paradigm into mind, we started thinking more about things like, you know, routing efficiency. And uh, we, I mean, kind of a quite geeky way of looking at it. But, um, you know, in the marketplace, you need the liquidity is more important than anything. If you have no, if you have no liquidity, you have nothing, right? And so from a marketplace standpoint, we said, well, you know, like you said, because uh, the most important thing to a relationship, at least as a first pass filter, is attractiveness, um, and attractiveness is sub- subjective. It would be a more efficient router if, if we got rid of that first, uh, and then let them take it from there. Right? Um, That's an interesting like way to look at it. A, if you wanted a smart and attractive person, like let's say you want the ideal, you were you were searching for a beauty model who was also a PhD, right? It's easier to go to MIT, and then just look for the hot one real fast than it is to go to a beauty pageant and search out the one who has a PhD. Right. There are different modes in which you can attack the problem that create different levels of efficiency. And so uh, for us, we figured that the shotgun approach uh, initially as a first-pass filter was probably the most efficient and also more fun. That's why hot or not was more efficient than smart or not in uh, retaining users. <laughs> uh, absolutely. I had, I had no users and shut it down almost instantly. My, my six-year-old daughter actually came up to me and said, uh, isn't this mean what you're doing, like with the smart or not? So I, I just shut it down. So you built up, and from what I was reading, you had about $5.5 in revenues or profits or, or something, and then you sold for about $20 million, give or well, take. Well, we got it actually up to around over $7 million. I think it was a run rate of around seven point five or some, some, seven to seven and a half million. By that point in time, we had actually hired some employees. Like uh, we had like small crew of guys um, because because uh, my, my partner Jim at one point started riding motorcycles, and I was a little concerned about what would happen if he got in an accident uh, mm-hmm. to the business. And so uh, we agreed that we should hire people for redundancy um, and uh, also for our laziness. Uh, and so uh, yeah, so we got it up to um, doing about six million in EBITDA. And then you're right. We did sell it in the 20s, um, which was rather low. But it was also we also did it. When did we sell it? We sold it in February of 08. So right. you remember that time? <laughs> it's kind of interesting. We were bookended by the 2000 crash and by the 2008 crash. You went and from bust to bust. <laughs> we went from bust to bust. And so in summer of 2007, you could start seeing the um, housing market uh, start to implode a little bit on the mortgages. We were a little concerned about that, uh, and so I guess around November of '07, I went all to cash, like in my portfolio. And I guess we kind of took that to an extreme and said, "Just we just need to liquidate <laughs> and go to cash," and that included hot or not. And so we ended up selling it, uh, like I said, at uh, a pretty low multiple. But at the time, 
we were like, we just have to go to cash. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting because I remember reading about it practically the day you sold it and some of the numbers were revealed. And it seemed to me like you were the only internet company that sold on a multiple of earnings. Like, uh, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, do you think if you held out a little bit or, or, you know, hired a banker or shopped it around, you could have gotten more like a hundred or, or yeah, more? Yeah, probably could have. But at, to be honest with you at that time, there were, there were a lot, there are multiple things going on. I mean, that, so that was one factor was the uh, we just need to get out. But actually, the bigger factor at the time was that I, – so what I didn't tell you is that along the way, we wanted to – because we, we had realized that people were going to be able to make more money, that the, the leverage was going to the entrepreneur, uh, Jim and I wanted to start an incubator. Our first project was going to be a social network with some media sharing uh, capabilities on top. And the, the guys that were going to join us were Steve Chen from YouTube and uh, Mike Solomon, who was YouTube's first engineer. It didn't end up working out because uh, we had a, someone on our board who was uh, not kind of didn't see eye to eye with us. You know, like we thought that this um, in this new incubator model, the the employees should get 50 to 60 percent of the company. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had it more in mind of them getting two, um, you know, because it's an older style of thinking back when capital was in power and not the entrepreneur. And so it didn't work out. But subsequently, we saw YouTube happen. And uh, like I said, we were friends with those guys. So to some degree, we saw Hot or Not as potentially being an opportunity cost issue. Now, we didn't really see what was going to happen on mobile at the time in terms of Tinder and, uh, and that. So in, in, in many ways, uh, we made a mistake on that, uh, in that it was potentially a billion-dollar play. But we had run it for eight years, and act, and frankly, the other factor is that we were just tired of it. <laughs> well, and also, it's never a mistake to take ten million plus off the table, right? You know? No, that, that's true. Like, I'm not, I'm not crying about it. Yes, uh, I'm quite happy and and feel lucky and blessed. Uh, I mean, that the entire thing even happened to me. So, uh, no, don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining about it. But uh, just speaking of it in retrospect, from a financial standpoint, yeah, it probably could have made us more money had we held out, had we gone through more process, had we tried to convert it into Tinder or whatnot. Um, but, you know, that's the way it goes, you know, like, and you just move on to your next thing. So we're, we're not really bothered by it. What if I'm listening and I w- I'm thinking to myself, man, I'm so jealous. I want to do something like this. What, what would you suggest to somebody who wanted to kind of come up with an idea that has the same sort of viralness? I mean, if you, if you, if you actually, if there was a formula, obviously you would do it and everybody would do it. But what, what would be some first tips? The number one tip would be to just do it, for one. I mean, so I think a lot of people have good ideas but just never get off their duff to actually building it. And most things, many things, start off quite simply. So it's not, you know, like even if you have a vision of this uh, complex product in the long run, um, start. I would say start off with the simplest elements of it. Because at its core, most things that are interesting or edgy or, or get passed around are not interesting because they're complicated. They're interesting because they're so simple. At its core, most products don't actually have to be that complex uh, when they're built out. So, like, like take Hot or Not as an example. What percentage would you say the initial Hot or Not was in terms of feature set from the final Hot or Not? Uh, well, actually, uh, we never changed the Hot or Not. Like, so we were actually pretty adamant about not changing the interface of Hot or Not because we felt like it worked and it was so simple that like, you know, it was almost like anything that we would do to it would complicate it. And so we didn't. Uh, so in the very beginning, the rating part, how it was in the beginning was pretty much how it was in the end. Uh, we did add this dating element to it, the meet me part. That part, we kind of um, 
it was actually almost felt like a separate site in that like um, there were two worlds. There was a, the site where you would rate people and there was a site where you would meet people. And the only bridge was that sometimes when you were rating people, it would have a link on it that said click here to meet me if that person happened to be in both worlds. And I see. So, so then it would move you kind of almost to the dating site. It was, like, it was almost like a parallel universe where mm. uh, instead of just rating people, now this world was about meeting people. Mm. But everything else kind of – the interface actually was almost exactly the same. And we tried to keep things – you know, we tried to keep things as simple as possible. And I found that in all my experience with all my investments and uh, with Hot or Not and other things I've done, that simple is always better. Uh, you know, like the more you make people think, the worse it's going to be. Also, if it's working, be very careful about – fixing it. Because if it's not simpler, or at least still very simple, then you have a very high likelihood of actually messing things up. <laughs> and, and so you see that with a lot of sites. I mean, like, you know, uh, you know, not only because things get harder, but also because people are used to something, people don't like change. And so you actually run the risk of alienating your user base by making changes, uh, major changes without input and too quickly. Uh, yeah, so, I agree with that. So many sites, I think, fall apart after their "quote unquote" redesign. Right. Uh, you know, and, and some sites have done a better job of handling it by letting people switch back and forth or introducing it to people optionally. Uh, you know, to give people time because I think I actually, even if you had a good interface, people just don't like change a lot of the time, and uh, so you have to ease them into it. So now you do quite a bit of angel investing. Based on your experience from Hot or Not, what do you look for in a good company that you would consider putting money into? The first thing that I care about is the founders and uh, whether or not I like them, whether I get along with them, like whether I think they're smart. There's a class of person who thinks about everything at a meta level. Uh, so like when we, when we were looking at Hot or Not, we were looking at it at a meta level from a system level to say, oh, not just from a user level standpoint, but from a system standpoint of saying, oh, you know, like some people said, oh, why can't I like write comments on people? And we're like, well, that would create some mean comments, which would, um, which other users would see and would scare them off from submitting their picture, right? And so mm. there's a whole system view of things, right? Um, and uh, so I kind of look for people who have kind of a system level view of everything, including themselves, you know, why? And, and look, I read your stuff, James, and I think you're a great writer, and I know you're like that. You know, like, Thank you. Very introspective, like, why do I do this? Why do I behave this way? You know, being able to separate the intellectual observation from your own ego to say, oh, well, I do this because, you know, whatever. Kind of having that ability to look at users as, uh, I don't know, to model them and to understand how they work and to understand human motivation, understand human psychology. I think those are very important things that some people have and some people don't. I think it can be developed, actually. Um, you know, a funny thing is uh, with all my, uh, my in- employees, whenever they joined, I used to give them Cialdini's influence book. Oh, yeah, great book. Uh, uh, I made some of my employees read the game. Yeah, Neil Strauss. <laughs> artist. Yeah, Neil Strauss. And in fact, actually, we used to make them go out and get numbers or something. You know, like, uh. Because I actually feel like uh, these skills actually apply to product design a lot. <laughs> You know, it's just understanding people and under, being able to think about things at a, at, you know, in a kind of academic way is, is actually very important. You know, what Hot or Not did was you removed, to some extent, the gatekeeper on dating. So no longer did you have to go to a location 
to meet somebody of the opposite sex. This was like basically the the real big. Be- I mean, internet dating had been around for a while, but I think this was the beginning of the explosion of it. Right away, you see the person, you can decide if you meet them or not, and without any kind of uh, resistance or friction in the middle. Right, uh, people router. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> as efficient as possible. Um, I used to go to bars back then, uh, but I also used to hang out a lot on Excite on their voice chat. Uh, you know, they had basically the chat rooms, which don't really exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and it was fun, you know, like you, you got to meet a lot of people very quickly. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely changing how we date. There's definitely more flow. Now, uh, I, <laughs> so. I, I noticed that you did um, a, a kind of a voter registration effort of vote or not. Yeah. Uh, could you have used the hot or not idea for just simply voting for candidates? Like, given all the problems with voting, you know, ever since 2000, can't we just vote for candidates using a kind yeah, of vote? actually, there was a book about this. Uh, I'm trying to remember the name. But, you know, after the uh, 2004 elections, some academic wrote a, paper, uh, a book about, about voting systems. And he actually talked about Hot or Not as being an example of a, a different system where um, there are a lot of different ways you can vote for something, uh, different structural systems. And uh, Hot or Not is definitely one of them. You know, the, the, the notion of crowdsourcing answers, that was actually one of the things that we were pretty proud about. Uh, and, you know, even though the topic seems so silly to, to many people, even though Hot or Not as a concept was so silly, many of the smartest people you would ever meet were actually the most fascinated by it. And, yeah, because there's, uh, there's a data component too. It's almost like how OkCupid uh, kind of analyzes the data of, of okay, their people. Yeah. We always talked about doing OkCupid type of stuff um, and we just never hired a data analyst to, to do that. So we did, we did run some funny ones. With, like we proved that gay men were not hotter than straight men. <laughs> and uh, I would not expect that. <laughs> yeah, we didn't expect it either. It was, we were very surprised because the hypothesis was that they would definitely be hotter, but uh, they weren't. You know, we even actually uh, we were involved in a psychology paper that was actually published uh, with Dan Ariely. Uh, I know Dan from Predictably. Yeah, Rational. yeah, Dan, Dan's been on my podcast. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Uh, so him and, uh, and some other gentlemen, uh, folks out there, uh, the very first thing that we did when we built Hot or Not, on, when you submitted your photo, we asked you how hot you thought you were. Huh. <laughs> and because we wanted to do the, you know, the cur- we, had, we had read that, you know, smart people don't think they're smart and dumb people think they're smart. And so we wanted to kind of do the equivalent with intelli- uh, with beauty. It was later pointed out to me that it's always that way for anything because you just have reversion of the mean. Uh, huh. You know, everyone is going to, on average, be average uh, if everything, if we have a normal curve. So, of course, the people who are hot don't think they're hot and the people who hot. You know, anyway, but. Uh, what, what, what surprised uh, you about who got the most votes for, for hot? Uh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> basically nothing. Like basically the people you expected to be hot got all nines. <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, six pack on a guy, you can add a few points. You know, blonde, add, add a point. There was nothing really. Uh, that revealing about who got the hot scores on average. I guess the most interesting thing to me uh, that I learned was more about the variance than the mean. Well, first of all, there's, here's some interesting things. It was easier to rate women quickly. Like people rated women quicker than they would rate men. Huh. I think that's because we're trained by society to know what is good looking, uh, you know, based on uh, with, with women in particular more than for men. We did prove that looks were actually subjective at a micro level. Like uh, many people did actually disagree on what was hot and what was not. You know, as an average, it was always a normal bell curve. But on some people, it, you would have quite a variance uh, or even sometimes like bimodal 
uh, distributions. Um, and who would get the most dates? Would it be people who everybody agreed on or people with the highest variance? Probably the people who are the most aggressive. <laughs> huh. You know, one time I shaved my head and I thought, oh, everyone's going to be scared of me. No one's going to want to talk to me when I was, I, was, I was going backpacking around the world at the time. And what I found was actually, it was, I was right and I was wrong. A lot of people wouldn't talk to me, but the ones who liked guys who had no hair really came on strong. I guess it's just making the point that like more than anything, differentiation is what matters. So it's uh, almost like uh, filters matter. So yes. it's almost like how it's copywriting works. Process. There's, there's no absolute, you know, the, the problem is if, if, I'm, if I have a bald head, I have to find the girls who like bald heads. It's not easy to find that. Um, but with high liquidity, with high pass-through, they'll find me. It's just a matter of differentiating yourself in some way, shape, or form. You know, it's basically peacocking. You have your peacock and then you have to, like, get seen by girls. The more girls that see you, the more successful you'll be at meeting them. And then the more successful you are at meeting them, the more likely you'll go out with them and then so on, right? It's a funnel. And uh, Jim, your partner, he met, did he meet his wife on Hot or Not? I don't think he met her on Hot or Not. He met her at our Hot or Not five-year anniversary party. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. Thanks to Hot or Not. How did you meet your wife? Uh, I met my wife uh, in Shanghai originally through Friends of Friends. And there she is, actually. I actually have to run soon. Uh, I'm on baby duty now. Uh, okay. Well, I will let you get to baby duty. But thank you so much, James. Is there anything um, you're working on that you want to give a shout out to or uh, yeah sure i mean i have a i have a pet project right now i'm working on called cakey which is a uh it's a youtube viewer for kids that i've been building as a hobby for the last year there is now a youtube for kids <laughs> app that youtube launched but it's actually quite different uh so anyway if anyone has kids uh give it a shot <laughs> c-a-k-e-y i can get yeah. it in the apple store and the google store and all yeah. that yeah yeah all right, well, James, thanks so much for spending the time, and it was a, a great education. I was a big fan of Hot or Not, so it was, it, it's glad to talk to you. Well, thanks. I, I'm, I was glad to talk to you. I'm a big fan of your writing. So. Thank you. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. For more from James, check out The James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.